Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. I am Jason Burmis, in for Sean Morgan. Today we have a very special guest, Sam Faddis, a former U.S. military and CIA operations officer, is going to join us not only to break down the current state of the Central Intelligence Agency and America, but much more. We'll be back after this. It's Making Sense of the Madness. He is the author of Beyond Repair, The Decline and Fall of the CIA, a former U.S. Army officer and CIA operations officer. Sam Faddis is here to make sense of the madness with us. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. I will do my best to make sense of the madness if that's possible. If that's possible, indeed. So take us back. How do you start in your military service and then eventually become a CIA operations officer? Well, I, I guess I, I grew up in a military family, so ending up in the military was kind of a, a, a natural a natural thing. And I was in the United States Army and uh, got out and, and reached a point where I think I was, uh, I don't know if this makes any sense, I was trying to figure out what to do next and how I felt like I could make a contribution. And uh, this is back in the days when the internet really didn't exist. So I literally ran across a hard copy solicitation for the clandestine service, of the central intelligence agency and read their ad and thought, you know what, that sounds like exactly what I'm looking for, which is a way to, to, to sort of bring together all the skills that I think I have and make a difference. And, uh, and I just applied. That's so what year was this and how many years had you served in the military prior to thinking the CIA was for you? So I'd been on active duty for four years and altogether, I guess, another four years in the reserves, depending on how you count. Uh, I joined the agency, actually entered on duty, if you will, in the fall of 1988. Uh, the process to get into the CIA takes horrendously long. Back in the days of snail mail, it took a long time. Now it's all electronic and it takes even longer. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, so I spent, you know, whatever, eight years in the military and then another 20 years undercover at CIA. And then after I left CIA, I spent roughly another decade working with other parts of the intelligence community. Uh, most of that was building and running training courses to teach people to go downrange and do what I had done and how I'd done it. Well, let's get into that. I mean, let's talk about that's a 20 year career in the central intelligence agency beginning in the eighties. What do you start off doing that you can actually talk about? And would you say as time went on and you progressed in the central intelligence agency, your duties and tasks got I don't know, more difficult or, or do you think that it's kind of, you're either good enough to get there and be there and they're going to entrust with you these operations right off the bat. Tell us about it. Well, so first of all, I spent 
virtually all of those. I spent the whole time undercover and I spent virtually all of that downrange. So in other words, if I was home, I was learning language or going through a training course and getting ready to turn around and get on a plane and go back overseas. So that's pretty close to 20 years abroad. Uh, look, a CIA case officer is, is an operator. You know, your job is not to sit behind a desk. Uh, you're not an analyst. That doesn't mean I'm saying those jobs are unimportant. That's I'm just saying that's not your job. Your job is to run ops. That's some of that is covert action. Some of that is in mean, the bread and butter. What you really get paid to do is recruit sources inside target organizations, meet them, produce intelligence, keep them alive. In other words, we need a guy inside Al Qaeda, Russian intelligence, Chinese intelligence, whatever it is. Uh, ops officers are the people who go target those individuals, recruit them, convince them to go to work for us, and then pump the intelligence out of them and uh, and keep them from from being detected. Uh, from day one, I was very heavily involved in counterterrorism. I worked a whole lot of other targets, but uh, and starting with uh, you know. We're talking back late 80s. We're still talking European terrorist groups, right, in addition to Middle Eastern groups. So the days of the Red Brigades, Badr-Meinhof, 17 November, Marxist-Leninist European groups targeting American officials. Uh, and from there, I moved very heavily into working, uh, well, you name a crazy jihadist a group, uh, I, I worked against them, uh, increasingly Al-Qaeda, obviously, as the years went on, does your, does your job change? You have to look, if you're good at, first of all, you're going to get, if you're an ops officer, you're going to get thrown out on the street, as I said. So there's got to be a certain level of, you can either sink or swim. I mean, you're going to get better at the job as you go along, but you've either after training got it and you can survive or you fail pretty quickly because there's, there's a pretty steep learning curve. There's very little margin for error, right? You don't get a, a lot of chances to redo things. Um, but as you go along, sure, you get handed much greater responsibility. I mean, when we went into Iraq, I took the first team into Iraq almost a year in advance of that invasion. Um, we spent almost a year up north with the Kurds inside Iraq already. Um, I, I was there running that show because of the experience I had gained over the preceding years. Well, I'm glad that you brought us into uh, the war on terror, because what I really want to talk about is what you discussed after the Central Intelligence Agency and working with other aspects of the intel community, because there was a large increase. And we're obviously going to discuss aspects of that increase in the security state, not only abroad, but at home with Homeland Security. So what were these other uh, intelligence operations that you were involved in? And I would also argue, obviously, there was an expansion in privatized intelligence that would really work as an arm of many of these agencies. Yeah, well, I mean, let me, let me throw out a couple of foundational things, maybe trying to, trying to respond to the direction you're setting here. Um, Americans don't trust intelligence agencies by nature. Right. They don't really like this whole idea of uh, guys sneaking around in the shadows, spying on people. I hope to God that we never lose that distrust. Right. There is something uh, you talk about a nation founded on individual freedom. The concept that you have 
entities funded with taxpayers' money who get to spy on people. There's a conflict there, obviously. So we should never become overly comfortable with this. When I, I hear people say sometimes talking about electronic eavesdropping, well, I don't care whether they listen to me or not. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me, right? It's, first of all, they're violating... If they're violating your constitutional rights, that's a pretty friggin' big problem. Second, you don't get to decide what's right and wrong. They get to decide what's right and wrong. So, you know, I look at the intelligence agencies as, if you will, a necessary evil. We live in a dangerous world. We need the capability. You sure as heck better keep an eye on them and make sure they still answer to the American people at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, there's been a huge growth in this security state or whatever you want to call it since 9-11. And I think uh, we can see very clearly that in some cases we have great excesses. I mean, when you've got when you've got people at the Central Intelligence Agency and the FBI involved in trying to decide who is the president of the United States, you kind of lost the bubble somewhere along the way. Right. When I was in the CIA we wouldn't have wanted. We wouldn't have wanted to be. Forget. Forget for a second about what the law says, because the law is very clear. Just ethically, you wouldn't have wanted to be within ten miles of American domestic politics. That's not your job. Your job is to prevent somebody from flying a plane into a skyscraper in Manhattan to keep Americans alive. So there's been a huge amount of growth, and I think we have brought in a lot of people who've kind of lost direction here. Um, so I think it's a concern. And in other words, and, and what bothers me about it is, look, you can't, you can't dispense with the fact that you, you really actually need to find, have somebody figuring out whether Al Qaeda is building a nuclear weapon and going to detonate it in downtown Manhattan. You got to figure out how to have an agency that can do that. And also, well, it doesn't I, violate I mean, I would rights. agree that I'm one of those, yeah, I, I'm one of those people that obviously is very concerned about our intelligence agencies, especially when it seems like on every major issue over the last 20 plus years, the intel community has either gotten it wrong or purposely gotten it wrong. On the flip side of this break, I want to talk about the expansion of the domestic aspect of this and those tools that have been put in place in 9-11 and then somewhere down the line we also have to talk about these ukraine leaks and why they're suspicious as well i'm jason burmas sitting in for sean morgan it's making sense of the madness back after this the world is about to shift banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900.
We are back. It's Making Sense of the Madness, joined by Sam Faddis, former CIA operations officer. And we recently have this report coming out of the FBI that is flagging terms like red pill and based and chad as extremist terms. This is common internet speak all across social media platforms uh, for those of maybe a conservative persuasion. But to me, this isn't a new phenomenon. We talked about Homeland Security briefly, but I remember back in 2008, 2009, these fusion centers were also putting together reports. And the MIAC report in particular went after individuals that identified with the Constitution or the Gadsden flag or terms like live free or die. So what can you tell me about this expansion of that domestic agenda, which seems to be one against the American people, and its expansion that you've seen over the past two plus decades? Yeah, well, uh, what you're seeing, let's just stay with your with your example, the FBI, this, you know, these guides they publish that show things like the Gadsden flag, you know, don't tread on me. And these are indicators of domestic violent extremism. The most recent report about certain terminology. I mean, I don't know any other way to put this than they have lost their minds. Right. This. Uh, we. When I left the agency, CIA, we, the, probably the number one problem we had was bureaucratization. We were losing our edge and, and trending in the direction of becoming paper pushers. We have added, in at least the last decade, politicization. There is no question now that the FBI is pursuing a particular political agenda. I mean, we watched American cities burn for months and months and months back in 2020 money flooding in, organization, people being trotted out by the tens of thousands, and the FBI can't find Antifa, can't arrest the leaders of BLM, can't stop what amounts to a Marxist revolution in the streets. But they're going to run around small town and rural America, which is where I live, and and focus on every guy that's running a that's flying a flag, which is a symbol of the revolutionary war. I mean, I can't, I don't have to drive half a mile from my house to find multiple such flags flying in front of houses. All it tells me is the guy's a patriot. He's concerned about his country. So they, I mean, this is, this is, this is real. This is not a, maybe this is happening. This is a a real thing. And I, I will tell you that it's clearly directed from the top by a lot of political appointees. But I think it is fair to ask, and I say this as a guy who's worked with the Bureau and has great respect for the Bureau, when is the day when special agents that are told to go out and raid some alleged domestic violent extremist because he's exercising his right to free speech, when are we going to see the day where they stand up and say, that's an interesting idea. I'm not doing it. My team's not doing it. I'm not trotting out the SWAT team to go arrest Roger Stone or drag a guy out in his underwear in the driveway. You want my badge? Take my badge, man. I don't work for Joe Biden. I work for the American people. Well, I'd like to see that day. I'm not sure that we're here or that we're ever going to be there, unfortunately. 
Um, you're talking about the modern day, quote unquote, Department of Justice. And I, I call them the Department of Injustice. And it's been on full display for the last seven, eight years in association with Trump. It's been expanded to Trump supporters as the new domestic extremists. Uh, but another one of these targets, time in and time out, are those that have a faith and believe in religion and Catholics and Christians in particular. And, you know, to Josh Hawley's credit, he's brought this up. He's um, spoken to Merrick Garland on the record, and their responses are obvious lies. Now, unfortunately, I don't think that there's going to be any recourse to this, but how do we hold the Merrick Garlands of the world accountable when, in fact, a decade plus ago, we didn't hold the James Clappers of the world responsible when they lied under oath saying they weren't spying on the American people? And as you and I have been discussing, they were spying on the American people, Sam. Yeah, well, I think you put your finger on a, on the sort of the central issue, the thread that runs through all of this, which is accountability, or maybe more accurately, the lack thereof, right? We have any number of examples of egregious criminal actions, and I was going to say dereliction of duty, but that's too charitable, because I don't think it's dereliction of duty. That would suggest negligence and incompetence. I think what you're talking about is clearly malfeasance, and we have seen it over and over and over and yet nobody has been held accountable um my central question i mean this is a complicated topic is where is the supposed opposition we have we have a clear agenda on the part of folks who claim to be elements of the democratic party but i think increasingly are we're talking about a marxist agenda uh, and I use that term as somebody who worked against Marxists for a very long time. So I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. And I want to know where is the opposition party? I mean, all credit to Josh Hawley for calling these people out. I don't need to denigrate him, but OK, lambasting somebody at a hearing is one thing. Getting, a, you know, a few minutes on television and, and on a, some show talking about this is one thing. But where is the meaningful opposition to this now on any of these issues? Where where is the opposition party actually standing up and pushing, in this case, the Republicans, pushing back on this agenda and actually fighting it? Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, which I have a copy of and was one of the first people to see and have gone through. OK, let's just forget about crimes for a minute. I mean, and pornography and trafficking in women and all that. I don't mean to suggest it's not important, but let's just get down to for American national security, the central issue. That laptop screams Chinese espionage and the very real possibility that the guy sitting in the Oval Office works for Xi Jinping, works for the communist Chinese. Again, I say that as a guy who did this for a long time. And yet there is no ongoing investigation meaningfully. I mean, now we're having finally house hearings. The FBI's had that laptop for what, three years now? The biggest counterintelligence threat in our history, quite possibly. Nobody's lifting a finger and I hear very little pushback on that on an, any given day. Well, let's, let's go back even further. 
The fact of the matter is, even before the laptop, you had the Burisma scandal. And that was out in the open. And I've got to tell you, if you had told me that they were going to somehow find a way to impeach Trump over a phone call to investigate a scandal that Joe Biden bragged about himself in front of the Council on Foreign Relations and Richard Haas, well, son of a bitch. If you had told me that was how they were going to impeach you, I would have never believed you because that was a story uh, people like myself were covering within a month of its occurrence. And Burisma was on the international media scene somewhat where some of the corruption was being exposed. Here in this country, there was almost a complete blackout. But as you just alluded to, we don't have a Department of Justice. We have one of injustice that shields these people, protects these people, and and not dereliction of duty. I would argue direction of duty. And we even have the example prior to the Hunter laptop with the Anthony Weiner laptop on record through their own reports that you had individuals from New York looking at this thing, asking why the FBI wasn't here to look at it, and they had it for years. Where are the investigations into that, Sam? Nowhere. Nowhere. And and the Burisman example, I mean, it, it is a great one because it is so crystal clear, right? Because you have a, a company that's being investigated for corruption that hires the son of the then vice president and the son of the and the vice president flies to Ukraine and threatens to cut off aid if they don't drop the investigation into the country. And then, as you said, because he's corrupt as hell, but not real bright, he then gets on camera and brags about the entire thing and how he strong armed them and told them, if you don't drop this investigation before I leave country and I'm leaving, I think he says tonight, you're done and we're cutting off a billion dollars in aid. So about as clear cut an example as you could imagine. I mean, it's a complete confession to, to criminal activity. And yet, as you well know, we continue to act like it just never happened. Like, and, but you know, I, I, I go on from there when I focus on the laptop to we're not just talking about corruption. Not that I'm not minimizing it, taking billions of dollars. And I'm not saying that's not a big deal. We're talking about the very real possibility that the Chinese communists control the guy in the White House. The plot of a, I think they wrote, I think they wrote a book about this once called The Manchurian Candidate, right? We're talking about as insane as it sounds, this is real now. And at an absolute minimum, the Federal Bureau of Investigation ought to be turning over every rock to investigate it, right? If, if in the end it turns out that's not true, I'm not going to say, oh, darn, I really wish the president was working for the Chinese. I'm going to say, thank God. But we're not doing anything. I mean, I submit to you that if you took all the information we have about the Chinese communists and the Biden family and you just changed Biden to, I don't know, some the name of, you know, somebody from South America or Africa, and we shifted the locale from the United States to Nigeria or Brazil and presented this package of information to any competent counterintelligence guy in the U.S. government and said, what do you think's going on? In about five minutes, they would say, well, the Chinese uh, control the president of this country. 
This is about as close to a textbook case as you could ever get of what we call elite, elite capture and gaining control of a political figure. And yet, well, I want to explore I mean, that. Transparent. I want to explore that on the other side. We got to take a break, but let's talk about Joe Biden. Let's talk about the Joey B gangster career of this guy mm-hmm. and how now, I mean, obviously, he is a very malleable dementia ridden puppet of someone something some other entity surely he's not really in charge and making the big decisions we're going to explore that on the other side it's making sense of the madness Stand out from the status quo. Let them know you're a patriot with the Patriot Pin. We feature an entire line of 14 karat gold-plated pins, starting at 445. Challenge coins, only 1745 each. And decals, only 645 each. Order now and get a free gift at thepatriotpin.com. And we are back. It's making sense of the madness. We are joined by former CIA operations officer, Sam Faddis, and we're discussing Joe Biden. So Joe Biden is one of these establishment politicians, literally been around for a generation, uh, a corrupt Delaware senator, somebody who's been allowed to lie, plagiarize, make racist remarks over the years and yet still be elevated on a national scale as to where he becomes the vice president of the United States. It was clear to many before the election that Joe Biden was no longer mentally fit to have any office. I personally wouldn't let Joe Biden run a night shift as a manager at a Wendy's because things would go awry, let alone the country. Somehow, he's installed with 81 million votes. Somehow, someway, it happens. Uh, A guy can't get more than 100 people at a rally, can't go anywhere in public without being booed. Meanwhile, his competition gets standing ovations everywhere and has literally tens of thousands of people coming to his rallies. So we have to accept this new reality. What is this? You know, how did we get the old Joe Biden into the new Joe Biden, and then kind of expand upon your idea that obviously someone else is in control, possibly China. Well, I mean, Joe Biden became a senator at the age, ripe old age of 29. He was installed by corporate credit card interests in the state of Delaware. And as you've laid out, he was kind of a joke for his entire career. Not bright, not, not anything, just, okay, everybody knows He's bought and paid for. He does what he's told. And that's his his whole gig. When he was Obama's vice president, right, he was there to be the old white guy to soothe anybody who had issues with a black president. 
um, that's, that's him. And as you've noted, that was him in his friggin' prime. And now on top of that, we have the fact that on a good day, he might still be able to dress himself. I'm not convinced of that. Even that's true. What do I think it shows us? I think it shows us that increasingly in this country where we are is this. We have the American people on one side, and then we have a tiny elite, elite in air quotes. They consider themselves to be elite people with more money than God, people who increasingly don't think of themselves as Americans because this is globalized corporate interests and they own most of the news media and they own most of the politicians. And uh, they're more than willing to let you continue to have the outward trappings of a constitutional republic. You can go vote if that makes you feel better. You're not going to have any real choice meaningfully between candidates. Basically, your job is when you're done with that is to sit down and shut up and do what you're told. And for them, for these interests, Biden is is the perfect guy, right? He's an empty vessel. He's a, he's a frigging puppet. Um, that's that's where we are in history. You know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Teddy Roosevelt was fighting what they used to call the robber barons who were taking control of America. Well, the robber barons are here, except they're infinitely bigger and more powerful. And at least the old robber barons considered themselves to be Americans. These days, increasingly, the folks we're talking about consider themselves to be globalists and don't care. They don't have America's national interests. So you know, back to my focus on the on the Chinese Communist Party, you got a lot of really, really powerful people in this country who have sold out completely. They, they don't consider that it's our job to prevent the Chinese Communists from taking over. If it's to their personal benefit and they're making a boatload of money off of it, they will do it in a heartbeat. That's, this is the essence of the, of the danger. And I'm back to my my fundamental question I ask all day, every day, where is the actual opposition to this? After the Republican senators are done grandstanding at a hearing for a couple of, you know, photo ops, where is anybody actually fighting this? Cause I don't see it. Well, I'm so you, you raised so many key points. First of all, uh, I don't consider these people to be elite either. Uh, my friend Cindy Sheehan refers to them as a robber baron class now for well over a decade. I call them the predator class. You also identified them as people that don't have an allegiance to our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, really the, the rugged individualist nature that we were founded on. The little guy is protected. That's what this nation was. Instead, it is an overarching idea of collectivism based in globalism. And I believe that's why the Chinese model is the one that is being promoted heavily and vocally by many of these globalist organizations, including the World Economic Forum, which is probably getting the most press right now. Uh, but Klaus Schwab has openly stated that China is to be the leader in the future globalist society. So I feel like that's how it's really integrated, and that's where we've been captured, especially when you have, for instance, an intelligence community where 55 people can sign on to the idea right. that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation 
when Russia doesn't really even come into the mix on this one, right, Mr. Uh, Fattis? Yeah, look, I said before I have a copy of Hunter's uh, hard drive. I, I got called in about, okay, so the, the, the original hard drive from Hunter's laptop and the original laptop is in the custody of the FBI and they've had it forever. Uh, the copy of the hard drive that the, that the guy who was repairing Hunter's laptop had has been cloned multiple times. I got one of the first copies of that because I, why was I called in? I was called in because people were all early on, people, including Rudy Giuliani, were looking at this and saying, let's make sure the thing is real. Let's not run off half cocked and play somebody's game. If, if somebody's feeding us something that is made up, we're not going to run with that. So that was why I got dragged in as an intelligence professional, as a guy who's run ops for decades. Take a look at this thing. I can tell you that, I mean, I I spent several hours the first night looking at the thing, but honestly, within a few minutes, you could say, there's no way on earth this thing is a fake. It is impossible for this thing to have been fake. You know, imagine the data that is on a laptop all the emails, text messages, photos randomly over the course of years. By the way, all those emails don't exist just on your laptop, right? They then have to exist on other laptops and servers. And they all have to, would have to fit with the movements of known individuals. These emails are from hunter to real people. The complexity of this is, it, it is literally impossible, which is what I said. Any intelligence professional would say, you couldn't have done it. In fact, I said straight up and said on air, I think multiple times, if you had asked me, if you had told me as an operator, I need you to do this to somebody else, my response would have been, that can't be done. I mean, I can fake it and it'll take about three minutes for somebody else to know that it's been faked. So it's ludicrous. So back to your point about the 51 intelligence professionals, professionals in air quotes, again, absurd a complete lie, a political statement. It's like, come on, man. Well, first of all, half of them have never run an op and never met a source. So they don't, they're not intelligence officials in any such stretch of the imagination. But the rest of them, it's like, come on, man. That is a blatant political lie, and you know it. And you're propagating it to support the Biden family. When you swore an oath to defend the Constitution and you are lying bald face about this, you know it's not Russian disinformation and you know it's absurd to suggest that it is. Well, once again, I have to agree with you. It was very early on that I saw, started seeing some of the raw material that was coming out of it. And obviously it wasn't Russian disinformation. And obviously it was legitimate. As to the means it was dropped off, maybe it was done so by someone other than Hunter, you could never really prove it because if you watch any of the videos, Hunter's not with it a lot on there. And clearly he is on substances time and time again, committing smaller crimes time and time again, bare minimum. But then there's also kind of the moral aspect of why you would have your father in your iPhone as pedo Peter, something that was hidden from the public as well. There are so many aspects to this case that were shielded from the public with a complicit media. And I would argue that's due to some types of CIA NSA programs, such as Mockingbird with the traditional media. And now what we know to exist and have always really known to exist, just having confirmed to exist via social media. 
And these Trojan horse civilian systems of control, such as Twitter, Facebook, and even Google, correct? Yeah, look, we're back to, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. There needs, I am a firm believer that in this very dangerous world in which we live, you need folks that are out there in the shadows keeping us safe. You need somebody who's crawling inside the belly of the beast and stop and letting you know that Al Qaeda is about to finish assembling a nuclear weapon, which is not science fiction. They were well on their way to building one before 9-11. At the same time, you got to have a really bright line in between those activities and anything that comes within 10 miles of American constitutional rights. I would give you this analogy. The United States Marine Corps is probably the premier fighting force on the planet. Their job is to kill thing, kill people and break things. I'm sorry for the brutality, but that's true. When you call on them, you expect them to be really good at that job because it means we survive. You also don't wake up in the morning worried about the United States Marine Corps overthrowing the government in the United States because you understand they are they are in obedience to our laws and the Constitution, and, and they act in our interest. Your intelligence and law enforcement agencies need to act with the same ethic. Pursuant to our laws and Constitution and direction to protect the American people, you want them to be really effective, and you don't want them to come anywhere near domestic politics and the rights of the American people. And we clearly lost the bubble on that some time ago. I mean, the stuff that has gone on in cooperation with Twitter and accessing things and all this stuff we talked about earlier about focusing on somebody because he flies the Gadsden flag. This is insanity. And there ought to be heads rolling in corridors. And we ought to be just trashing people and throwing senior officials out and cleaning house. And again, I ask, where is anybody actually trying to do that. I don't need a press conference or another news clip from a committee hearing. What I need is somebody being held accountable. Where are the people that are going to jail for all of this? Unfortunately, I, I see their opposition going to jail and I see an expansion of not only criminalizing uh, the United States citizen for writing something, but thinking something. And you've talked about political viewpoints. I want to get into that subject. I want to go deeper into Twitter and then get into the Ukraine leaks on the other side of this break. I am Jason Burmis in for Sean Morgan. It's Making Sense of the Madness. Hey, guys, Justin here with the Satellite Phone Store. And today we're going to talk about EcoFlow's solar panel options. Designed for portable power, these foldable solar panels come with a kickstand case for easy transportation, setup, and protection. Each panel uses an MC4 universal connector for wider compatibility and makes it super useful for charging a variety of devices. And if you're interested in making a purchase or you'd like more information, please visit satellitephonestore.com or sat123.com. It's astonishing that experts were not called to help the country. In the inaugural episode of Focal Point with Alex Newman, Dr. Peter McCullough discusses the impact of COVID-19. If we had no government response and the medical community just faced it on its own, we could have avoided, I think, two-thirds of the hospitalizations and deaths. We never needed the vaccine, so they wouldn't have come out. The entire calamity would have been markedly 
reduced. Don't miss this historically important interview on Focal Point with Alex Newman, only on AppNews.us. We are back with Sam Fattis, former CIA operations officer and author. Sorry about that, folks. And what I want to discuss now is really the capture of these social media companies. Now, we've seen evidence via Twitter that you had former individuals in the NSA, CIA, uh, FBI, you name it, working there with content moderation. We know the same things were going on at the other large social media companies. Uh, I don't see that the practice has ended. If you point that out, you're somehow part of a disinformation program, according to 90 plus percent of the media, and even Fox that kind of dabbles in these things. Well, they don't go all the way. So, you know, you're asking, what do we do? Isn't the first step holding these companies accountable that are working hand in hand in, with government and maybe bringing some criminal charges against them? Again, we've had hearings, but what are those hearings really doing? Yeah, well, as I indicated before the break, you know, <laughs> hearings are wonderful, man. But okay, I don't need theater, I don't need a circus. I don't need somebody grandstanding in front of a microphone. And then again, over and over and over, nothing happens. There's we're, we need action. I'm not interested in verbiage and there is no action. You're hundred percent right. I mean, and there are a lot of really things that are crystal clear here. I mean, again, in this weird environment we're in where we just don't talk about a lot of stuff sometimes gets lost, but it's crystal clear. The government, cannot go to private companies and get them to do what the government is forbidden by the constitution to do. That's settled law. And that's precisely what the government did with Twitter and with other social media outlets like Facebook. They, they know they can't go seize your communications without a warrant, but there's, they're backdooring their way into that. Well, that's illegal. There's no question about that. It's not iffy or a gray area or anything else. These are illegal actions, and the government knew that, and the folks on the other end of this knew that. So, yes, absolutely, there should be criminal liability. At the root of this, I, mean, I think what other people, what, what no, other people need to understand is this. What the government has done, and, and th this is express. Again, I'm not inferring this because they say this. They have made... If you engage in disinformation, and obviously they decide what's disinformation. So I, I've been banned from social media outlets for having the audacity to say that all the evidence suggests that COVID came out of the Wuhan lab. So I can't talk on social media outlets. That equals disinformation. So they define it. Disinformation, disinformation encourages, facilitates violence. That's their assertion. Therefore, the spreading of disinformation, which means saying whatever they don't approve of, is the same as committing a violent action. So, and again, this is all, you can read all this online and they've laid it out very expressly. So when they say you're a domestic violent extremist, they no longer have to say you blew anything up or you've acquired explosives or anything like that. 
you expressed a thought which could lead to what they define as extremist activity. Therefore, you are a domestic violent extremist. Therefore, you are a terrorist. Now, you take all that mumbo jumbo and you put it together. What that means is they are now the thought police and expressing a thought, having a thought that is counter to the approved government orthodoxy equals terrorism. Uh, that sounds like the plot of, I think that's Minority Report, right? The movie where, where they have the thought police. But <laughs> that's where we are. That and, and this is laid out very expressly. Joe Biden has a, a special advisor whose entire job is to drive the entire U.S. government apparatus in this direction. They can't wait. They, you know, if you, if you disagree with Joe Biden, uh, you're going to blow something up eventually. They just know that. So therefore, they can arrest you right now. Now, that's just about where we are is on that knife edge where disagreeing with the government equals a criminal action and giant corporations are going to work with them to enforce that. Sounds like a dystopian novel. You told me that 10 years ago. I would have said plot of a bad pulp, bad paperback, man. Nobody will ever buy it. Too wacky. Uh, good Lord. Now you're living it. That's how that's how insane it is. Well, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I would have been one of those insane people. And I would argue, obviously, this has been <laughs> incrementally done. And even um, the Trump Justice Department, Bill Barr in particular, pushed the Justice Department into that pre-crime era that you're talking about that was featured in Minority Report and it is now being strengthened. And it's never lost on me the irony that Trump had an opportunity to basically expunge these uh, false accusations and charges against Julian Assange and do the world a favor. And instead, he gets charged with the Espionage Act. And look what they're trying to come after Trump with now. Eventually, that Espionage Act is going to be used against him, in my opinion. So we are in the upside down. We're also on the verge of a possible World War III scenario. And we have these leaks, which to me were suspicious from the beginning because they weren't just PDFs. They were physical leaks of pictures of documentation. And later when you find out who they arrest, there are certainly problems with a 21 National Guardsman obtaining Central Intelligence Agency and NSA specific documents. I want to get into that and much more on the other side with Sam Faddis joining us for Making Sense of the Madness back after this. Banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world, but in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks, and the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system. 
with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Final segment of Making Sense of the Madness, and I want to talk about Ukraine and the inverted reality that we all have to live under. For instance, the fact that our State Department was able to put out that Russia had bombed their own pipeline when it was clearly U.S. intelligence and their own interests that did so. You get the bombshell report by Hirsch and then a modified reality after the fact. That's just the tip of the iceberg of this conflict. I want to get your take on the leaks, why they happened, what we're being told, and what is the realistic scenario that we are now involved in via Ukraine and Russia. Well, first of all, let me say that I agree completely with your analysis of the pipeline. I mean, uh, the in my in my opinion, and I'm not basing this on some classified information that I have somehow gotten a hold of. I'm basing this on a lot of experience. There's no question that the United States blew up the pipelines. So, I, I and I the assertion that the Russians blew up their own pipeline is insane, right? You got. They have a valve on their end. If they don't want stuff to go through it, they can close the valve. They don't need to blow up their own pipeline. Uh, the leaks. I don't know. Uh, at this point, I, I'm not prepared to say that I think that the leaks were somehow deliberate or, or part of a, a broader agenda. I'm not saying that I, that's impossible. I'm just saying I don't have that information. Uh, what is it? What does it show me at this stage? You got a 21-year-old National Guardsman who has access to intelligence like this, can apparently print it off or is handed it in hard copy, walk out of controlled spaces, spray it all over the Internet and escape detection for months. Uh, That that ought to be impossible for about 10,000 reasons if you have a competent uh, intelligence service. Uh, competent intelligence community. So that that fits with, with my analysis that in addition to being politicized, a lot of the intelligence community has just lost its edge. I Folks that I talk to say that something like 5,000 people in the community had access to these slides. Now, I just ask, I mean, most people watching this, I'm sure, have never been in the intelligence business, but they've had some experience with secrets if you told a personal secret you didn't want to get out to 5,000 people and then seriously expected it to remain a secret, I suggest that you would have a, you would have a problem. Common sense would tell you you can't tell 5,000 people anything you don't want to leak everywhere. That's a clown show. Uh, where are we more broadly in Ukraine? We need to bring the war to a conclusion. Not a supporter of Vladimir Putin. He's a thug. He wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union. He's gotten his head handed to him in Ukraine. He deserved it. We need to stop pouring jet fuel on the fire. We need to get these guys to negotiations before we end up in World War III. Well, I would agree with you in that respect. I want this conflict over. I don't want it to escalate. As far as the leaks, I think there is more to the story. And I think that you get to have it both ways in that Lloyd Austin can go out there and say that, well, we know some of those uh, documents are doctored. So that gives them an out on any of the information. 
Meanwhile, what does the press run with? Well, they're going to run out of military gear in middle of May, and that will cause devastation. What does the right-wing media report it, report on? Well, that seven uh, Ukrainians for every Russian are dying. So you get to paint these multiple pictures, but unfortunately, you keep us in the conflict. And the narrative surrounding the 21-year-old leaker, we could bring it all the way back to the other topic we were discussing. What He's probably a sympathizer to these domestic terrorists because he's a white Christian nationalist. Right, Sam? There's no question that people have grabbed a hold of the story and they politicize it and then they, they twist it all, all out of all out of shape. Right. There may, in fact, some of these documents may a handful of them may have, based on what I know, been crudely modified by folks in Russia at some point after they leave. There's some evidence that to me suggests that's possible. It, it's, it's relatively minor aspects of the information. It doesn't change the central thrust of this. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of stuff in those slides, which are, as I understand it, Joint Chiefs briefing slides, basically. Again, why why a 21-year-old part-time airman has access to that information, that's a whole nother question. But it, it, there's a whole bunch of information in those briefing slides that is contrary to the narrative. Um but this is the world we live in, right, where we just either twist things out of all recognition or we just memory hole things. Uh, not what you you made reference to Hirsch and Seymour Hirsch in the, in the pipeline. Well, he came out, what, within the last week with a, an article talking about how he has pretty strong evidence that Zelensky and company have embezzled at least $400 million dollars of U.S. taxpayer money, taking at least $400 million, and one assumes that this is hardly the full scope of this, and put it in their pockets instead of it going to where it supposedly was going to go. There's no reaction from this administration at all, right? We're, I mean, the only there's only one country in Europe that's evaluated as more corrupt than Ukraine. That's Russia. So again, I'm not slandering the Ukrainian people or suggesting Vladimir Putin was justified in invading Ukraine, but pretending like their leadership are pure as the driven snow and all this money is really going where it's where it's intended to go is ludicrous. I mean, come on, man, come on. No, of course it's being siphoned off. And of course, what didn't we just spend 20 years in Afghanistan doing this? Didn't we pour billions of dollars? down there and then find out a huge amount of it was ending up in Swiss bank accounts and buying new townhomes on Lake Geneva and all of this. I mean, we've seen the movie before, right? So bring it to a conclusion. Do I think you could do that in five minutes? I don't, obviously. But what is Zelensky going to do? You talk to Zelensky and say, there's only one reason the Russians don't control Kiev. That's because of us. So you're going to sit down at the table and negotiate. And it's talk to Putin and tell him, bro, we can do this all day. Americans aren't dying on the battlefield. We got money. Your guys are the ones bleeding to death. So I know you don't like it, but you're going to sit down at the frigging table too. Now, will it be a God awful protracted negotiation and make you want to shoot yourself at some point in the process? Obviously all negotiations are like that, but in the end there will be a settlement and that's where we need to go. The thing is going to spin out of control. You know, and, and this whole business about pigs feeding at a trough and making corporations rich 
it is not a it is not a national security strategy. Sam Faddis, this has been, uh, frankly, an amazing conversation. Tell people how they can support you, read your work, find your analysis out there. So I am still out on uh, on Twitter and Getter and a whole bunch of other folks, but the best the best place to to go is just go to our magazine website. We are on Substack now, andmagazine.substack.com, and we produce new content pretty much daily uh, on a whole variety of topics. Uh, myself and a number of other largely former intelligence folks who have this idea that they'd like to speak some truth. Well, we appreciate you and we are going to have you back as soon as we can. Thank you so much for joining us. And folks, thank you for joining Making Sense of the Madness. Once again, I am Jason Burmis in for Sean Morgan, and we'll see you on the flip side. Genocide Jab by John Michael Chambers is now an Amazon number one bestseller. If you've not yet read this critically important book that exposes uncomfortable truths, you should get your copy now. Or bundle with The World Awakens Volume 1 and 2 and get a 20% discount at ampnews.us. It's astonishing that experts were not called to help the country. In the inaugural episode of Focal Point with Alex Newman, Dr. Peter McCullough discusses the impact of COVID-19. If we had no government response and the medical community just faced it on its own, we could have avoided, I think, two-thirds of the hospitalizations and deaths. We never needed the vaccine, so they wouldn't have come out. The entire calamity would have been markedly reduced. Don't miss this historically important interview on Focal Point with Alex Newman, only on ampnews.us. We're at a very critical juncture, and I think it can go one of two ways, and it really depends upon everyone. There's a whole lot more to these interviews, but you can only see them when you subscribe to Amp Insider. Don't stand alone. Join an association or a union or an organization that is in the fight for freedom. Check out all of the backstage interviews from some of the key speakers of the Nashville Clay Clark event. There's more good than bad in this world. And there's more of us than them, so stand up and be counted. We the people, be the people. Use the code AMP888 and get your first month for $1. Cancel any time. If you're supporting the agenda that says that it's okay for grown men to dress up as a woman and then have access to a woman's bathroom, that is wrong. Or go to ampnews.us and sign up for AMP Insider. Stop watching the cable news and get involved at a local level.